0: You know what they say, you know, the the old saying is uh, you should have a Purim Sameach and a Kosher Pesach. So really people should say the opposite. Uh, Because of Sholach there's all sorts of Kosher, you should have a Kosher Purim and Pesach is the other way. People sometimes get nervous about cleaning, so it's not so much for Simcha. So you have to wish people a Kosher Purim and a happy Pesach uh, instead of just the other way around. Okay, uh, so... I I have a question actually you think that at some point we'll be able to talk about um, like halacha of keeping Pesach in a house that doesn't keep Pesach? Sure, sure, okay. that, that'd be great. that'd be Okay, okay, so maybe next great. week? Yeah, that Next week you still be still have class, right? Yeah. Okay, so next week we'll do that. Okay, okay, thank you so much. Okay, okay. So I, I do want to continue uh, so, some, uh, again, introduction to the concepts of the laws of kashras. Uh, we covered a lot of different things uh, last week. And just to go over it, the basic idea is that whether it's treif or meat, milk, you need heat to transfer. Without heat, there is no transfer. So therefore, if you put uh, cereal and milk, cold milk, in a fleshek bowl, the bowl doesn't become treif and uh, the cereal doesn't become treif. Because, in fact, even if you put it in a treif bowl, a bowl that was used with chazer, in the absence of heat, whatever taste was absorbed in the bowl or the pot does not go out into the food, right? So that's a very important rule, that you need heat to transfer the taste of foods. Uh, and the heat has to be a minimum temperature of what's called the yad soled which is the hand would retract. And, you know, that obviously doesn't tell you what it is, but it's between 110 and 115 Fahrenheit. And, you know, obviously we're going to be strict if it's 110 or above, and generally speaking, that's the temperature at which your hand would be uncomfortable. You're not going to get scalded with that, but your hand will, you know, withdraw when you're touching something that 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 hot. Okay, so that was rule number one. Uh, rule number two is the fundamental idea that any taste absorbed in a pot or a dish becomes rancid after 24 hours and as a result the rancid taste it may impart into something else is not going to be considered food so that goes by two rules the basic rule is no same tam lifgan it imparts a taste that is defective but the specific application to utensils is benyomo versus eno ben yomo. benyomo benyomo means a pot that was used, or a dish, that was used within 24 hours. Literally, it means it's a sun of its day. Eino ben yomo means it was used more than 24 hours. Now, this is a very, very, very important rule, because what this would mean is, again, I'm reviewing a little bit, that if you cooked a dairy, let's say you cooked a lasagna with cheese, in a fleshic pot, a pot that was used with meat, but it's more than 24 hours since it was used with meat. Bid dieved, after the fact, the lasagna remains milchik and it's not considered to have absorbed the meat taste because whatever the meat taste is, is considered to be a rancid taste at that point. So this already shows you in many, 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 many cases, if there was a mix-up between milchik and flashek, after the fact, you'll be allowed to eat the food. Now, you're not allowed to use. In other words, I'm not allowed to take a fleshy. That's why you have to have two different pot, types of pots in your kitchen. I'm not allowed to take a fleshy pot after 24 hours and use it with milk. <coughs> That's that saucer to do. <coughs> Excuse me. But if it was used, it's going to be kosher. Okay? And not only for meat and milk, but even treif mamish. Treif mamish. A pot of that was used with chaser uh, but it was more than 24 hours ago, and I cooked some kosher food in it. The food remains kosher. Okay, so that goes by two names. One is No Saint Tam Lufkam, and the other is the Hetzer of Eno Ben Yoma. Okay, I hope uh, the vocabulary is, is clear. Uh, this applies both to meat and milk, and it applies to Treif, uh, mamush. Okay, now the third rule we looked at. Is a special rule that only applies to meat and milk. It does not apply to trade. And that is uh, no Saint Tom bar no Saint Tom, not bar not, that's the abbreviation. And that refers to second generation milchic or second generation fleshic. Does not create a bus or when it hits the other thing. So the classic example would be you cook a pariv thing a paraph thing, not meat. You cook a pyrif thing in a fleshic pot or a milchic pot. Now, if the fleshic pot or milchic pot is eino benyomo, then there's no problem anyway, right? That's not the issue. Even if you cooked milk in the fleshic pot, it would be okay. Okay, so we're not talking about eino benyomo. We're talking about benyomo. I cooked fish in uh, a fleshic pot. That's benyomo. So the halacha is, we have machlokas, Ashkenazim, and Svardim. According to Svardim, they have a very simple rule. They basically say, a pariv thing that is cooked in a fleshek pot or a of thing that's cooked in a milchik pot remains pariv. You are allowed to eat it with milk. You're allowed to eat it with meat. Why? Because it's an attenuated milchik or fleshek taste. It's a no saint tam, meaning it got taste, right? The pot got the taste from the meat and the fish got the taste from the pot. So it's two generations. Now, if you cooked milk in a phalashic pot, the meat is also two generations, but it's two generations, it hits the... In other words, the second generation hits the milk. But if the second generation hits the parve. According to Svardim, it is not considered milkic or fleishik at all. It is treated as parif, which is, again, if you're Svardi, that's a very useful leniency. For Ashkenazim, it's a little more complicated. We do treat it as fleishik or milchik, whatever the, the pot was, but you don't have to wait six hours. You just don't eat it together with milk or cheese. So if you cooked, let's say, a, a potato, you cooked potatoes, in a fleishik pot, that's a benyomo. Okay, if if anyone doesn't get the words, please stop me. You cooked a fle- you cooked potatoes in a fleishik pot that's benyomo. According to Svardim, you can mix those potatoes with butter because it's a secondary taste uh, before it hits the milk. So you can mix it with mamish milk. According to Ashkenazim, you would not be allowed to mix it with butter, and it wouldn't even be proper to have a glass of milk eating the potatoes. But if you ate the potatoes, you don't have to wait six hours before you have um, dairy. You just don't have it at the same meal. Okay, so this is not by not. Now this rule... Unlike the other rules, only applies uh, to meat and milk. Meaning, if you cooked chazer, if you cooked, chaser, if you cooked uh, anything in a chazer pot, whatever it would be, so if it's not benyomo, you could eat it, that's true. But once it's benyomo, even if you then cook the par of thing, right? no, no matter how many generations, I cooked the par of thing in the trave pot, and then I cooked uh, the par of thing that I cooked in the trave pot with something else. It would keep on going and going and going and going. Uh, the law of knots bar knots, no sing Tom by no sing Tom, is only a special leniency in the laws of meat and milk. Okay, so now let's go over a few a few other things because you see, this is, um, you know, it's an intricate system and that's why uh, it's best to keep things as separated as you can. That way you don't get into all of the questions. But in fact, that that's the old story. They say that um, if a Rebbitzin would see uh, how the rabbi runs the kitchen, she would never let him go into the kitchen because you know uh, you can use the flavor. I mean, there are all sorts of ways out of doing things, but it's not misudar meaning a kosher kitchen should not be constantly creating questions. I mean, you, sometimes accidents happen, so it's good to know the answers to the questions, but you don't set up a question where meat and milk things get mixed up because then they get complicated. But as a matter of fact. If a lot of mix-ups do happen, after the fact, a lot of times there'll be a lot of different leniencies that can be used uh, for all of these things. So now, so the first thing I want to mention are uh, a special genre of food that, again, I'm going to use a lot of Hebrew words, that is called davar harif. Now, if you uh, live in Israel and you order falafel, you undoubtedly know the concept of harif. Usually... Uh, that's what you don't want, at least you want, at least me. I don't want it in the falafel. Bali kharif, etc. But kharif, as you'd expect, means something very, very sharp. And kharif can include a lot of things. It can include, of course, onions are called kharif. Uh, lemon is called kharif. Uh, hot peppers, like jalapeno peppers, are called kharif. Ginger might be charif, you know, raw ginger. Again, there, there are different questions. I mean, if you have any question about if something is charif, you have to uh, ask a rabbi because there are different opinions about charif. But charif has some special characteristics that doesn't apply to other food. First of all, a dover charif kind of intensifies a taste so that even if it's rancid, it gets rejuvenated. So let me give you a very simple example. Let's imagine, right, I said before, uh, well, let's take tray first, then, and then we'll meet, move it to meat and milk. That if, if you have a pot that was used with chaser, and you cook uh, something kosher in the pot, and it's been more than 24 hours since the pot absorbed chazer, so the tam in the pot is considered to be rancid. It's eno ben yomo. It's no saint tam with gum. And I could eat the kosher food that was cooked in the pot. Right? That's the regular law of eno ben yomo. Ah, but that's only true if the kosher food is not a davar charif. Let's assume I have a tray pot. I'll apply it to meat and milk in a moment. I have a tray pot. And what I'm doing is I'm cooking food that has onions or lemon or ginger or jalapeno peppers. So there we say one of the qualities of Davar Kharif is it rejuvenates and intensifies even a tom that's pagum, even a tom that's rancid, and as a result you would not be permitted to eat the food that was cooked in such a pot, right? So that's Chumrah number one. Chumrah number one of Davor Kharif is, it takes from a pot what is balua absorbed in the pot, that would otherwise be rancid, and it elevates it into a good taste, which in the case of Kashrus means it's a bad taste, meaning it's good, therefore it's bad, right? You understand, because it's no longer rancid. That's Chumrah number one. Chumra number two. We normally have a rule, and this is the single most important rule of kashrus, that only heat effects transfers. Without heat, there's no transfer of taste. So, for example, if I cut, let's say, I cut um, a green pepper, no, a bland pepper, I cut a green pepper with a Trafe knife, assuming the knife is clean, the pepper does not absorb the tray from the knife because there's no heat. Right? And kalbachomer if it's a spoon. Ah, but that's only if the thing I'm cutting is not a davr charif. But if the thing that I'm cutting is a dover charif, the pressure of the knife, no, this is a double factor, the pressure of the knife pushing down, coupled with the sharpness of the food, effects an absorption even without heat. So, if I cut onions with the trafe knife, we combine two hummers here. You understand know, two khumrras. Chumre number one is, even if the knife is benyoma, the onion is aser. And number two, even if there's no heat, the onion is, See, you're combining two things. Ben Yomo is not an issue, and heat is not an issue. You don't need Tam Meshubach, and you don't need heat. Okay? So, th- th- those are the special two special qualities of Dabar Harif. And then there's a third quality, and that is there is no leniency of nat Barnat. because just as the dover charif rejuvenates a rancid taste, a davr charif intensifies a secondary, second-generation taste. So, let's go back, let's, even for Svardim this is true. Um, I cook fish in a milchik pot, or fleshic pot, let's say, that's ben yoma. According to Svardim, let's first look at Svardim. That fish is parv. I can eat it with milk. I can even put butter on it. <coughs> But that's only true if what I cooked was not a dover harif. If I cooked it with onions, then it actually becomes fleshic, even though it's a secondary taste. And even Svardim, Kalbachomer Ashkenazim, would say, you're not allowed to put butter on it and Ashkenazim or Machmer as well. Of course, there are Machmer even if it wouldn't be Davar Charif. But interestingly enough, the one leniency is you don't have to wait six hours. That's interesting. That even though Davra Charif is all of these Chumras, the absorption by a Dabr Charif does not necessitate waiting six hours. Okay, a little, a little complicated. So do you understand the three Chumras of Davar Charif? So now let's, let's talk about a simple thing. Right? One of the questions people always have is, uh, what can I eat in a Treif restaurant? Okay, what can, I, can I eat anything in a Treif restaurant? Now, ideally, it's better not to go in at all, of course. But let's say it's either necessary for business meeting, or sometimes it's a family situation where you have a non-religious family and they're making uh, the 50th anniversary for your grandmother or whatever it is, your parents' And for some reason, they're insisting on doing it there. So are you allowed to go? So, so there are a lot of issues, really. There are a lot of issues. One issue, which I'm not really going to address a lot, but I'll mention it, is, of course, the, the great issue of Marisayan. Marisayan is a chlal and that talks about uh, appearances, meaning even if you're not doing anything wrong, you shouldn't do anything that causes people who might see you to suspect that you're violating the Torah. Right? That's called mar, mar Is Ayin, or mar it Ayin if you pronounce it, Israeli style. In fact, it's interesting, there's a book, it's interesting, I think it's out of print, uh, it's called When Black Becomes a Rainbow. It's a very interesting book because it's kind of unique. This was written by a non-religious mother, non-from, and she didn't become from, uh, whose daughter became very Haredi. They're from Australia and the daughter and her husband live in Eretz Israel. And she wrote about all the different conflicts from the non-religious parents' perspective that she went through with her daughter and how they finally came to a good place, you know, happy ending and the like. So she recounts that one time her daughter came with her children, the grandchildren, to visit and the mother wanted to take her to like a famous Jewish deli in Sydney, Australia not kosher, but it's like that's where the Jews hang out, it's like you know you want to be seen, it's like a social uh, deli, and she wanted to show up, her grandchildren to this, this place, so uh, the daughter kept on th- thinking oh, I don't know, Morris Maharasayan so the mother didn't know what Maharasayan was, so she finally says to his daughter, her daughter, who is Maharasayan, is he always <laughs> he's always watching you? you're so afraid of Maharasayan uh, as it were uh, but that's, that is one issue. Uh, however, Moshe finds he does have a tshuva. That, um, you know, why should people suspect you? I mean, what's going to be? Who's going to see you in the restaurant? Somebody else who comes in to use the bathroom? Well, you know, if that person is in the restaurant and he sees you in the restaurant, he would assume the same way that he had a reason to go in, you have a reason to go in. And especially if you're eating like a salad thing that looks conspicuous so Marisayan is a consideration so i wouldn't urge you to go to non-kosher restaurants but you know for a family event there's a okay but what can you eat so obviously you now understand you certainly cannot eat anything cooked now that's not so budget because if you ate let's say hard-boiled eggs and the hard-boiled eggs were cooked in a pot but if the pot was eno Benyoma with respect to treif, actually the eggs would be mutter. But the short answer is you don't know for sure. Maybe they did cook treif within 24 hours. So since you don't know, so it's a pretty good rule of thumb. Do not eat anything hot. Okay, that's mine. Alrighty. So what about cold, fruit, or salad? Right, that's the standard thing people say. Uh, I can eat a fruit plate or salad. Now, if it's uncut fruit, uh, that is indeed butcher. I mean, if somebody gives you an apple in a tray restaurant, you can eat it. But what about cut fruit? Right? Am I allowed to eat cut fruit in a tray restaurant? Assuming that the cutlery was used with non-kosher food at various points, technically the fruit would still be permitted, and the reason is because in the absence of heat... Cutting fruit with a non-kosher knife is not going to make the fruit treif because the absorption of the treif in the knife doesn't come out without heat. And the same thing will be true for salad. But if the salad contains onions or perhaps garlic, that's a or lemons, then indeed the combination of the pressure of the knife together with the sharpness of the food creates absorption even without heat and there's not even a heteroveno benyomo so even if you knew, which you don't know anyway that the knife was not used for 24 hours with treif that wouldn't help because of Dabrachar so I'm sure you've heard this over the years but now maybe you understand it a little better that's why, uh, you know, you're told that if the salad contains uh, onions or lemon uh, or jalapeno peppers uh, and it's cut up, if it's not cut up, you can do it yourself with plastic cutlery. Uh, but other than that, there's going to be a problem because of the rules of davar Kharif. Yeah? If the knife is used to cut onion, mean, does the knife um, obtain a status where it is unkosher and can make the fruit unkosher? Um, no, okay, the answer is no. The, the answer is that um, when the knife cuts a davar harif, the davar harif takes out of the knife the treif taste, but when the knife then cuts a non davar harif, it does not bring it out. But I will address shortly a, a related question that's connected uh, to what you're asking. Okay, so do you understand the three rules, three different rules of davar harif, but they all <coughs> intercept Dover charif does not have a heter of no Saint Tom lifkam, eino ben yoma. Dover charif does not require heat if you have duchka. Duchka means pressure of the knife. And dover charif does not have the leniencies of second-level taste by meat and milk, except for not having to wait six hours. That, that is important that a davr charif still does not require that you wait six hours, but uh, even Sfardim would say you can't eat it with milk or the like. Okay? Now, what is davr harif? Again, there are questions. I mean, the standard davr harif are onions, jalapeno pepper, hot peppers, and lemon. But even with onions, there's an interesting machlokas, which could change a lot of things. Some say that once onions have been sautéed, they're no longer charif, which actually is true, right? It actually is true. If you eat uh, an onion after it's sautéed, it's not very sharp. So, now, granted, when I started cooking it, it wasn't cooked yet. So, but, but let's say I would take already sautéed onions and then put them in a fleshed pot. According to some opinions, again, this is why you have to ask a rabbi, according to some opinions, those onions would not have the status of davar harif because when they were put in the flayshik pot, they were not in a state where they were still sharp that 's a special thing for onions. I think other things remain sharp I mean lemon or uh, a jalapeno pepper they 'll be sharp even after you cook them, so that 's not going to be a difference. but onions very markedly change when you uh, when you saute them okay so uh, so that 's kind of the issue there. Uh, in fact, there was a great uh, story about uh, eating uh, fruit fruit uh, plates and the like. Um, there was a fellow he's, I think he 's still alive he 's an old man, but he was like uh, secretary to six prime ministers of Israel, like all the way back from the beginning (coughs) of the state. And sometimes uh, he was the only like Shomer Shabbos person, you know, in the prime minister's staff. So uh, he always insisted that he had to have fruit plates at White House dinners and everything else. So they gave him his fruit plate and uh, one time uh, he was at the White House dinner with, uh, or maybe it was in England, with with, um, Prince Philip, yeah, Prince Philip, you know, Elizabeth's husband. And uh, everybody's eating the treif there, and all of a sudden they bring him this beautiful fruit plate that's like five feet high. And I think Prince Philip notices and says, what is that? So was uh, tried to say, that's his birthday, whatever it is. Anyway, uh, he finally had to say, well, he keeps kosher. So Philip said, what's kosher? I said, well, kosher, you know, the, the Bible says... So Philip says to Rabin, he says, so why don't you keep kosher? Why, why does he keep kosher? You don't keep kosher. <laughs> so it was a little bit of a, an embarrassment uh, that the, uh, the big shots were not keeping kosher, but the assistants uh, were, keeping, were keeping kosher. But okay. Anyway, I think Philip said uh, he preferred the fruit also. The fruit was better than the main, uh, the main course uh, and the like. Okay, uh, so the, 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 again, the, we're dealing more with principles than every specific ramification, but I hope you understand the idea of Dabr kharif and the exceptions that Dabr kharif creates. Three exceptions. Now, let's talk about how Dabr kharif impacts on cutting boards because that's a very, very interesting shiloh. Let's say I take an onion, a par of onion, a whole onion, totally par I take a fleshic knife and I cut that onion. So even if the knife is eno ben yomo, the halakha is, this onion is fleishik, right? That's, that's the law. I don't have to wait six hours, but I can't mix it with milk, etc. Okay, Ashkenazim and Sfardar are in agreement. Okay. So now let's imagine the following issue. What if I take a flashek knife and I cut the onion on either a parve cutting board or even a milchik cutting board. Okay, so flashek knife, raw onion, and it's on a, and we'll, we'll, we'll look at both scenarios, we, uh, and I do it on a milchik cutting board, or I do it on a of on a cutting board. If I do it on a flashek cutting board, then it'll be no different than the knife, uh, everything is flacic. So here, there actually is a huge machlokas, a uh, later poskim, and we don't, we don't have a clear ruling here, meaning different poskim will go different ways depending on the circumstances. And that is, <coughs> some say, the only thing Davar harif can do is it can enable the food to absorb from the knife. But it doesn't Enable the cutting board to absorb from the onion. in other words, the onion absorbs the flacic taste in the knife, but the onion does not impart a flacic taste in the cutting board unless there's heat, therefore. If the cutting board is milchic, it remains milchic. If the cutting board is parav, it remains parif. Because duchka, pressure, acts on the onion to absorb. Others say it works both ways, meaning to say the same way the pressure of the knife causes the onion to absorb from the knife The pressure of the knife causes the cutting board to absorb from the onion. Now that would mean, therefore, if your cutting board was parav, it is now a fleshic cutting board. And if your cutting board was milchic, it is now a treif cutting board, because it's absorbed meat and milk. Now this is also going to be very, very relevant for a food processor, and I I hope you can see it's exactly the same situation. Here's the problem. Let's say you cut up an onion with a flesh knife. So the onion is flesh. You then throw in the pieces, let's assume they're large pieces. You throw it into a food processor to become, you know, more pulverized, smaller. The onion is flashek, but will the onion make the food processor flashek? Do you see? It's the same question. Because the onion became flashek because the onion absorbs from the knife. Here, the question is, does the knife, the blades, absorb from the onion? It's the same question as the cutting board. Some postkin will say that the food processor has now become flacic. Others will say the food processor remains part of. So that's an issue that uh, is a, a very, very big machlokas in that particular particular area. Okay, any, any questions about, uh, about how that works? Okay, so now uh, one other uh, final issue I, I want to go over, uh, and that is uh, using an oven, a single oven, whether it's a toaster oven or a regular oven, or a stovetop. let's talk about all the combinations for meat and dairy. OK, how, how does that work? Microwave. So many people say many different things. you may, you may have heard some practical a lot of this is just trying to have a practical advice that raises the least questions, but I just want to go over the basic combinations here. Let's first talk about a stove. If I made a roast in a stove, so what happens is, the roast generates hot steam. Now, steam is considered to be equivalent to the absorption of meat itself. I mean, the steam that comes up from meat is fleshic steam. So that means the oven, the top of the oven, and the size of the oven absorbed fleshic taste. It absorbed fleshic taste by steam. I then cook something milchik in the oven. The milchik may also generate <coughs> steam. Now the problem is when the milchik hot steam touches the top of the oven or the sides of the oven, it may retrieve, so to speak, the flacic taste that's in there, and then it may fall back into the dish. So you have Busser Bakalef. or is this so even without kharif okay. See, kharif would be relevant if you were cooking part of a part of cake in a flaciak oven. You're right there. But if you're cooking actual milk or meat, meat or dairy, <laughs> then Dabr Harif is not going to be relevant. So because of this, the two rules you need to know are, number one, never cook Milchik and fleshik in the oven at the same time. That's for sure. Number two, if you are cooking one after the other, so there is potentially a problem of steam, uh, one of them should always be covered so it doesn't absorb any steam from hitting the walls. So that would mean the following. That would mean you would decide, or you, whoever decides, uh, to make the oven dominantly milkic or dominantly fleshic. If you decide to make it dominantly flashek, so you could cook flashek either covered or uncovered. That's up to you. But when you cook milchik, you want to be sure that it's covered so that it will never generate a steam that will hit the other steam and go there. Okay. Uh, now, some people say, why don't you just kosher the oven between uses? That may be a possibility. Uh, Katsuring would mean you turn the oven up to its highest temperature for half an hour. But, and, you know, you could do that too. Uh, but if you keep one, one of them covered, uh, you can do it even five minutes afterwards. It's not a problem, right? So covering is probably the easiest thing. <coughs> and the same thing should be true with a microwave. As long as you keep one of them covered, if you want to keep both covered, that's even better. But as long as you keep one of them covered, then you're guaranteed you're not going to have a steam problem with buster or bus. Now, in a microwave, uh, you don't use aluminum foil to cover. You can't do that, but you use uh, whatever, paper, plastic, uh, whatever microwave cover lid that, that you would use. Now, the only thing is you have to know the following. Covering only helps you... Uh, vis-a-vis steam. If there's actual gook there, right? if there's fleshic gravy and I put my milchic dish or my milchic pot on top of that fleshic gravy, that's going to penetrate. Okay, that's not going to help you. That's going to go in. That's going to penetrate. That's heat transfer. So, therefore, it is recommended in a microwave, let's say, you either have a separate turntable, it's a little awkward, or at a minimum, the turntable be covered. So your, your milchak thing is never directly on the turntable that may have some gook on it. And that also means in an oven, what that would mean in an oven would be, I mean, most, of it, most people don't put it directly, out, but you never put, if, if it's a flechic oven, you never put something milchak directly on the oven rack. Because there may be gook there, you have an interposition of a pan, which I can most of the time people have that. Anyway, yeah. So can you cover, I, you, may, you may have said this, but if you do one uncovered and one covered simultaneously, or does that have to be done one after another? <coughs> yeah, theoretically, uh, if you cover... If they're both covered, they can even be simultaneous. That's correct. Okay. But for various reasons, it's better not to do that because you never know something might get uncovered, and there may be spillages. When there are spillages, you will have problems. Yeah. If you are kashering an oven, do you have to not use it for the 24 hours preceding? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the thing. Um, that's a big. That's a big machlokas by like kashering an oven. There are some opinions that say, well, let me put it this there. There are two ways you can kasher an oven. The best way of kashuring an oven, which Chabad often does, is they use a blowtorch. If you actually use a blowtorch, you do not have to wait 24 hours. You can kashur immediately. The problem we have is that some people say there's a, a, you know, a secondary way to kashur an oven, and that's putting it on the highest temperature for 15 to 30 minutes. But if you're doing it that way... Some would say you may have to wait 24 hours. So uh, the Chabad way of kashring does not require 24 hours. Uh, The other way might, might. Even that, that's a a machlokas. Okay? Uh, Yeah? Does this also apply for Spartan? The idea of like covering the dairy after? Yes, that will work for Spartan too. Uh, By the way, if you have, uh, in in Israel it's not so common, if you have a self-cleaning oven, a self-cleaning oven is as good as a blowtorch. So, koshering via self-cleaning setting, you will not have to wait 24 hours for that. Yeah? Um, do you need to clean out the oven with a uh, special cleanser before waiting for 24 hours? Yeah. Uh, um, okay, so you don't have to clean it before waiting 24 hours, but you have to clean it before you kosher it, meaning... Cleaning, 24 hours, tashing, But the 24 hours could be before you clean it out or after you clean it out. Yeah. Okay, but as I say, if one is covered, you technically don't, don't have to wait for the 24, for the 24 hours. Okay, so uh, these are kind of the, the basic rules. So just, you know, you're ready to get smicha and uh, everything else. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's a complicated series of, of, of halachos there are some assorted halachas that are interesting that you know you're, the, the, the that you're not allowed to make dairy bread or fleshic bread meaning you don't make bread bread has to be parav you're not supposed to make bread with the dairy and you're not supposed to make bread with meat and the reason is because since bread is commonly eaten with both types of meals. The rabbis were afraid that if you made dairy bread, people would eat it with a meat meal. Or if you made uh, meat bread, they would eat it with a dairy meal. So they made a gezerah that bread cannot be dairy and bread cannot be, uh, be uh, fleshic. Now, there are some exceptions to this. and That is, uh, if it's a special shape, if milkic bread is made in a certain way. In other words, this actually comes up with baricas, interestingly enough. Uh, most bread is parav, but barikas are like, you know, uh, you know, barikas. Uh, they have dairy barikas, right? So the question is, uh, since people eat barikas with their meal, like they might eat with bread, so how are you allowed to have dairy barikas? Uh, fle- I don't know if there are flachic ones, but in theory there could be flachic ones too, yeah, you know, whatever it is. And the answer is, that's why they have to have special shapes. If you look again, you'll notice that the dairy ones have different shapes than the of one, and that's not just a customer convenience. That actually is required by the halacha. Otherwise, you would not be allowed to have milkic or fleshic, uh pastries in that, uh, in that way. There's also another halakha that the leftover bread from a meat meal should not be served at a dairy meal. Now that's an interesting issue with leftover challah, right? You have challah from Shabbos. So, uh, now the challah is part of The challah is not flesh and bread, but it was used in a meat meal, so people's hands could have touched it and there could have been a grease over it. And now you want to use the leftover challah to make, let's say, French toast. And you want to make it in a dairy way. So the question is, are you allowed to take the leftover challah from a Shabbos fleishig meal and prepare it to be eaten in a dairy meal? Or is that called, like, leftover challah? So that's a machloka. Some say, like this, some say that the leftover challah would be pieces that are leftover. Meaning, if the challah was cut into pieces that people were handling, so that I'm not allowed to use those pieces for dairy. But if I only cut half a challah, and the other half was not cut at all, so that's not really called a leftover, that's simply the, the half of the loaf that I didn't use, so some would permit you to use that uh, for a dairy meal. Again, yeah, I mean, ask your local Orthodox rabbi uh, for the uh, particular answers. But these are just questions that uh, you, should be, uh, you should be aware of. Yeah. So if someone has made um, French toast out of the word shabbat Bala in a milked frying pan, would the frying pan be treif? <coughs> no, it, it probably would not be treif. Uh, <coughs> because we don't really say it's treif. It's like a, a fear the rabbis had, but it doesn't go as far as to make the frying pan uh, fleishig. Yeah. So let's say, like, you get a soup at a place that's meat, yeah. and then you want to get a baguette, and they're selling a baguette at, like, a dairy bakery. Can you get the baguette from the dairy bakery and use it? Yeah, yeah, because, again, assuming the baguette is parf mm-hmm. so just because it was made in a dairy ba- bakery, you know, it would be like, uh, you know, a polemic parif. Uh The prohibition is only if they actually make it with mm-hmm. dairy, or they make it with, um, I think, was it... Uh, there used to be. There probably still is. There used to be this famous bread in America, Wonder Bread. I think, I think Wonder Bread even had a hechsher over over different years. Uh, I remember as a, just as a kid. I think Wonder Bread uh, had like milk in it or something for calcium. So it was mamish uh, milk bread. So they couldn't give a hechsher on it just because of that. Uh, so there's no problem with milked cookies, but there is a problem with milked bread or mazonos like baricas or or the like. Okay, so um, okay. Any any questions about about uh, about this, and the like? Okay, so that's kind of. Uh, I'm not going to say all you need to know about the b'zor but I uh, think a lot of it. And as I say, uh, you know, you're not going to be an expert. I mean, I'm not an expert either. I mean, there's there's a lot a lot to constantly learn, but at least you understand the system. It's not just arbitrary, but it's actually a very logical uh, system. And if you're aware of the problems you're trying to avoid, you'll be able to avoid the problems. And most of the time, you know, if something goes wrong, you don't have to jump off the roof. Most of the time, the uh, evidence at least, things will be salvageable uh, and, uh, and, 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 and the like. Uh, yeah? Um, one more question on the challah. Yeah? What if the challah was torn? Um, instead of being cut? It was like half was torn off, and there's half that's still left over, but it was being handled. Yeah, I, I think that, that would be, it would be more, much more difficult to be lenient in a case like that. If the challah was actually handled by people during a fleshic meal, it would not be proper to use it uh, in a milchic, uh, milchic meal. And I think a lot of people aren't aware of this, because a lot of people often will use the leftover Shabbos challah for a dairy thing uh, afterwards, make pizza with it or whatever it is. So they need to be aware that there are halachos uh, regarding uh, that, particular, that particular thing. So the one thing you do see about Basra Bechalov, though, is how far we've gone. Because according to the Doraisa, the only prohibition would be you actually cooked the meat with the milk. You're allowed to drink it, uh, the, the milk, uh, together with eating the meat. And you don't have to wait six hours for sure. But the Chachamim kept on extending it and extending it and it became uh, all sorts of uh, and, uh, and and the like. Um, okay, um, actually, I'm not, for some reason my mind is escaping me. There was an, another topic I wanted to bring out here. Yeah, I think we, we did talk about fish and meat, right? Uh, we talked about fish and meat, which is not Basra Bechalov problem, but it's called a Sakana problem. Mm-hmm. And then I had mentioned Sephardim have a chumrah, not only fish and meat, but they have a chumrah about fish and milk that they treat... Uh, now, This fish has to be parav, parve. You can't eat fish with meat. <coughs> you can't eat fish with milk, because this is said to be... or butter. This is said to be a, a, a danger. Uh, so the question becomes, either like Ashkenazim, that only have a problem with fish and meat, or Svardim, that even have a problem with fish and milk, Do we apply this to the pots and the cutlery as well? What about cheese? Huh? Oh, Cheese, yeah, yeah, like Spartan, you couldn't have fish and cheese, yeah, that's correct. Ashkenazim you can? Ashkenazim you can, yeah sure, Ashkenazim you can. Ashkenazim only have a problem with fish and meat. Mm -hmm. If it's not with meat, it's not a problem. So the question is, let's take Ashkenazim just to keep it simple uh, for a moment. So I'm not allowed to have fish and meat, and that's why I gotta wash my mouth out, between, or take a drink of liquor, between uh, the fish course and the meat course. And that's why I either change the fork or wash the fork so there shouldn't be any residue. So what about a pot? Can you make fish, can you make a filter fish in a meat pot? Right Now you can't eat it with meat. Can I make it with a, with a meat pot? So l'maissa, uh, some, uh, some people are strict, but l'maissa, we're make a lot of it. In other words, we don't require... A dedicated fish pot. So again, some some do, but but uh we poskim that the fish can be made. In fact, that's that's why the example I gave you before was cooking fish in a fleshic pot, and that's not considered to be sakana, and that's why you can eat fish with a fleshic fork. The only requirement is, you wash the fork so it shouldn't have any pieces of fish on it, but there's no problem with using the same fork for meat and. Fish, it's only the actual fish or the actual meat uh, that would have uh, that, uh, that particular problem. And by spartum, the same thing is true with cooking fish in a dairy pot that is totally permitted. It is only us or uh, if you actually have the milk or have the cheese or the cream uh, with it and, uh, and the like. As I say, as I said last week, I think. The issue of what is the Sakhan is a little obscure because uh, as far as medicine has identified it, we're, we're not aware of what the danger is. So some of these dangers may be Kabbalistic and we don't really understand. That doesn't mean they're not true. That just means we don't understand what the problem uh, is. But uh, nevertheless, it's brought down la Um, and I think I mentioned, again, I'm not sure I remember everything. Did I mention eggs and onions last week? Okay, that's another example. That if you have unpeeled, I'm sorry, if you have peeled, peeled onions, or peeled, hard-boiled eggs, and they were left overnight, even in a refrigerator, they were left overnight. So the halacha is, although it's not in the Shulchan Aruch, but the Gemara says, it's a sakana to eat from them, and therefore you have to discard them because of sakana. Once again, we're not sure what the sakana is, and the shulchan Aruch does not bring it, unlike fish and meat, but uh, the, minag, the minag of klal Yisrael is to be very machmer on this, so you do have to be careful. Uh, once again, if the onion is partially unpeeled, or the egg is partially unpeeled, it's okay. and if the egg or the onion or both has oil added to it or lemon juice added to it, then you're allowed to keep it in the refrigerator and there's not going to be a a problem. Now, there's another halacha about things that are uncovered, about liquids, and this is a huge machlokas. What if you had a bottle of wine or soda or juice that was simply left open on the table. You forgot to close the bottle. Water. You forgot to close the bottle. So the Mishnah lays down a rule, and that's not even overnight. That's even if you left the room for five minutes. That if you left it unattended for even a short time, you're not allowed to drink uncovered liquids. Now, why is that? So here, there is a reason that's given, and it may sound very far-fetched. There was a fear that a snake would come in, drink from the liquid, and inject some venom into the liquid that would be undetectable, and therefore... If you did not watch that liquid, you have to be afraid it got poisoned. Now, that reason would not apply at all if it's in the refrigerator or whatever it is. This only applies if it's out. Now, many opinions say that that particular law is very situationally specific. In other words, a place where snakes come into the house. If you live in an environment where snakes do not commonly go into a house, many say you can ignore that rule, you can just ignore it. And that's why the prevailing custom is that many people ignore this halacha, and they will drink from water that was uncovered, they'll drink from wine that was uncovered, simply because we live in a place where snakes are not that common. Although, I'm not sure if that's true in Israel. You know, you never the Vilna Gaon, on the other hand did take the position that every Takana of our Chachamim must remain in effect even if we think the reason doesn't apply because you know there may be many many other reasons besides that so once again I don't know if Chabad has a minog about uncovered uh, liquids uh, but uh, just be aware that, uh, that there is this this Machlokas Okay, uh, maybe we'll stop a little early. I'm a little under the weather, but uh, if there's any final questions, I'll be happy to take take them. Okay, so, all right, so Mirza Shem, next week we will talk about uh, keeping uh, Pesach in a non Pesach place. Thank, okay. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. All right, be well, everybody. Take care. Right, <coughs> the sign up sheet for Shabbat is up. It's back. It'll down.